Welcome to Divine Truth Podcast with Dr. Stephen M. Huffman. Michael is a senior pastor with Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. The purpose of this podcast is to teach and edify God's people through a verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. To learn more about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. And now, here is Pastor Michael Huffman. Three. I've got a few things I want to go over with you tonight because even though we've got a business meeting, I want to, I want to have you out here uh, by 7.30, uh, as close to that as we can. Um, but I do have some things for from God's Word that we want to share. The, uh, the story of Ruth is thus far an amazing story. It's an amazing story of love, loss, and redemption. Uh, we go from Ruth, Naomi, and, and uh, losing most of what they have, and then going back to Bethlehem and finding redemption again. So we're th- we're, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing story. And I'm not going to recap for you all of what's going on. You, you can find those videos to, to find the recap for verses of chapters 1 through 2. No, most of you, no doubt, have probably read the book of Ruth, so you, you have a pretty good idea of the story that's unfolding before us. Uh, Ruth was, of course, a what type of woman? She was a Moabitess woman, right? And being the fact that Ruth was a Moabitess woman meant that she was a pagan. Uh, she, she worshipped, the Moabites worshipped the false god Chemosh. Uh, and one of the marks of the false worship of Chemosh was child sacrifice, uh, among other things. And so Ruth was definitely from a pagan uh, pagan background, pagan family, and from that perspective, should have never been of allowed to have married one of uh, Naomi and Elimelech's sons, being, being people of the covenant. In fact, Naomi, if you really want to think about it, Naomi and Elimelech should not even have been there. They should have, if, if you really want to, now I'm not, I'm not passing judgment on them because I know what I may have done, uh, and you may know what you may have done, but f- speaking from a strictly biblical standpoint, uh, they never should have been there. They should have stayed in Bethlehem and trusted the Lord, uh, the covenant-keeping God. They should have trusted Him in the, in the place of blessing where God had promised to bless them. God, see, folks, what you need to remember this is that God never promises to bless you if you're not where He wants you to be. Okay? If you're not where God wants you to be, He's never promised to bless you. Uh, he'll sustain you and He'll protect you to a degree. Uh, and if certainly you'll be a product of His... Uh, chastisement but don't expect God to richly bless you if you're not in the center of his will uh, don't expect God to richly bless you if you're not where, where, you want to, where he wants you to be and, and sometimes let's be real sometimes it's tough to stay where God wants us to stay because we have, we have all these things in life inundating us all these fears uh, and that's why Paul told Timothy that God's not given us a spirit of fear or literally in the Greek timidity uh, Timothy, Timothy suffered from a very timid personality, and God says, timidity is not from God. Fear is not from God. But let's be real. Fear is real, isn't it? In your life and in my life, fear is very, very real. And so when we face situations in life, I know I have and you have, you've made decisions that were not based upon the solid foundation of the truth of the Word of God. They were not founded upon prayer. They were founded upon fear. The decisions sometimes that we make are found are decisions based upon fear. Fear is a real thing. But we've got to keep in mind that even in the midst of fear, God is still in control. Even in the midst of fear, God is still sovereign. 
And it's not cliche to say we have to trust, but we have to trust. We have to trust. And we can come up in our lives and our minds, we can come up with all, all type of grand schemes and grand plans and remind God of what God needs to do. You know, Lord, if you did this, this would really work out well. You know, follow, Lord, if you just followed my plan. How many of y'all have done that? Lord, if you just follow my plan, uh, I think this will work out pretty well. And uh, it usually doesn't. And so it's, it's tough to trust. It really, really is. But that's where Naomi and Elimelech should have stayed. They should have stayed in the place of blessing, where God had promised to bless them. And what was the product of them going to Moab? The product of them going to Moab was that their two sons married pagan girls. And now God turned it around, at least in the case of Ruth. But listen, young, listen, folks, we also need to keep this in mind as well. Just because the outcome is positive doesn't mean that the disobedience was correct. Okay? There are times when God is gracious to us and He causes situations to work out for our good. Well, He causes all situations to work out for our good. But even though, but there are times when God blesses us, but even though the blessing comes and the situation works out for us as far as what we're concerned, that doesn't justify the disobedience. Disobedience to the Word of God is never, ever, ever justified. Uh, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation, disobedience to God's Word is never a right thing. I can remember many times my home pastor standing in the pulpit. He, my pastor's wife, married him before he was saved. And I can remember him saying on many, many occasions that even though God blessed in the situation and I got saved, he said this publicly from the pulpit, Jeff Clark would say, my wife, Barbara, was disobedient and wrong in marrying me. Because always keep in mind, disobedience is never positive. It's never good. And just because God causes that to work together for your good doesn't mean that God's put a stamp of approval on your acts of disobedience. We need to always follow the Scriptures, right? We need to always follow the Word of God. And what God says, it's final, whether we believe it or not. What God says is true. What God says is final. It is our final authority. And we are to follow it. And Ruth and Elimelech didn't follow it. And what did they get for their troubles? They got two pagan daughter-in-laws. And what did Elimelech get for his troubles? Well, he died. And I'm not saying that Elimelech died because that was a judgment of God. The Word of God doesn't say that. So I can't make that, uh, make that characterization. And I'm not saying that. But what we do know is, is that he died in Moab. What we do know is, is he died in disobedience. And it very well may have been the judgment of God. We don't know that. The Bible doesn't say either way. But we do know that he died in disobedience. And we, then we do know that, that there are two daughter-in-laws their two sons also died in Moab as well. So Ruth and Naomi, you know, come back to Bethlehem because now God has lifted the famine on Bethlehem. The barley harvest has now started again. And so now they are going back to Bethlehem. And Ruth, uh, Naomi and Ruth walk into Bethlehem and they just can't believe it. You know, have you ever, have you ever seen somebody that you know has been living in, living in sin and you haven't seen them for a while and then you see them and it's like, wow. 
because sin has drastic effects. You can see the physical change in a person's body when they've been living in sin. And when Ruth and Naomi walked back into, flew back into Bethlehem, and they got off the plane, and she was walking across the tarmac, is that Naomi? That's not the same woman that left. I have seen so many times in my Christian walk, whenever somebody gets away from the Lord, rarely do they come back the same. Rarely do they come back the same. And they looked at Naomi and they said, is that Naomi? What was Naomi's response in chapter 1? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Naomi means what, church? Pleasant. Mara means what? She says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter, and it's God's fault. She said, because God's hand has been hard against me, which is basically another way of saying, call me bitter, and it's God's fault that I'm bitter. It's God's fault. Well, she and Naomi, she and Ruth, eke out an existence. You know what happens in chapter 2. Naomi, go, uh, Ruth goes out and she starts gleaning in the fields and we went over in some detail what gleaning was and, and, and then Boaz shows up and he asks some questions about who this little lady is out in my field and, and they tell her who she is and she's such a hard working woman and Boaz goes to her and says, you know, I want you to hang around with my cousins or we don't know, people of my, Hebrew says, people of my clan. We don't know who these young maidens are, but we do know that they were members of his family. He says, I want you to hang around with these guys because I don't want you to go in the, in the back of the, I don't want you to go to the back 40. I want you to stay right here. I want you to stay protected. And don't let anybody give you a hard time. And then he goes to his men and says, I don't want you to say anything to her. Let her do what she wants to do. And we've talked about an amazing law that God had, that God had given as a provision for those that were, uh, strangers in the land and needy and that is that the people that harvested the land could not harvest but up to a certain point that the rest was for the orphans and for the needy and for the sojourners and if during the harvest time they dropped any they could not go back and pick it back up again it's Leviticus 25 they could not go and pick it back up again they had to leave it there and again that was for the needy and the orphans and the sojourners of, in the land and so that's where we were when we left chapter 2. Now we come to chapter 3. And uh, just for a moment, I want you to see some things. It, Naomi seemed to have had an amazing turn of events. Because there's some type of preparation that has, that's going on here. And so Naomi has an amazing turn of events. Her, her life somehow is different. Something's going on with Naomi. Uh, she's not the bitter person she used to be. Now look at verse 1 of Ruth chapter 3, of Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? Now, we could have maybe cynical, we could step back and maybe have some cynical thoughts about Naomi and kind of assume that Naomi has some selfish intentions here. But since we don't know Naomi's heart, uh, we will just go by what the text says. Perhaps it was the kindness of Ruth, that, that the kindness that Ruth showed to Naomi that caused Naomi's, that God, that the Spirit of God used that to, to change 
the heart of Naomi. Because she's no longer, it seems like, she's no longer the bitter woman that we saw back in chapter 1, verse 20. She doesn't seem to be a person now that's entrenched in her own pity. And that she's, uh, and that she's demanding that her daughter-in-law go back to her family and return to her gods. I mean, I can't imagine... And when we were at the end of chapter 20, some people came to say, you, you know, you Pastor, you really gave Naomi a hard time. And I, I guess I kind of did, because I can't imagine the, the, the entrenchedness of pity and the, and the bitterness that, would, that, this, that this Hebrew child of uh, the covenant-keeping God would look at this pagan woman and say, don't follow me, go back to your family and go back to your gods. In other words, I don't care if you die and go to hell, let me wallow in my self-pity. Now, does that sound hard? Sounds like I'm giving Naomi a hard time, but that's exactly what Naomi said. Go back to your gods. And Naomi knew, and what was she going to find when she went back to her gods? Paganism. And she wasn't going to find the God of Israel. But we see, by the time we get to chapter 3, we seem to see a little bit different Naomi. And maybe it was the kindness of Ruth that God used to change Naomi's heart. Maybe Naomi just got her heart right with God, you know, time and brings the healing that's needed by the help of the grace of God. But if she says to Naomi, she says to Ruth, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee? That's the word, I want you to look at the word rest there in verse 1. That's a good word. And literally, it, it means a place of security. A resting place, a safe place. In other words, Naomi comes up to Ruth and she says, Honey, I got a plan for you to find yourself a husband. Naomi is not going to live forever. And she says, When I die, I want to make sure that you're taken care of. Verse 2 Not only do I have a plan for you to find a husband, but I know who that husband's going to be. Verse 2, And now is not Boaz of our kindred with whose maidens thou wast. That word maidens there speaks about the clan, his family, perhaps cousins. Behold, he widoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. He says, uh, she says, uh, Ruth, you remember Boaz? How could Ruth forget Boaz, right? I mean, I saw like when Jana met Nathan. Who could forget Nathan? Right? <laughs> he, was a, he was a stout man. But she says, Ruth, remember Boaz? That man you worked out in the fields with his cousins? And Naomi mentioned the fact that Boaz is out winnowing barley in the fr- threshing floor. Now, the process of winnowing is something that they would do to barley and wheat. Uh, Wichita, I want you to bring up the next slide there. I don't have it in my, my copy for you. But the winnowing and the threshing that would, that would go on was, something, was, was the process of separating. And what they would do is, is they would bring in the barley or the wheat, and they would put it in the pile, and then they, would, they, they built what was called a threshing sledge. And the threshing, the threshing sledge was made of wood, and the back part of the sledge was, was weighted down. 
It was usually drawn by an ox or a donkey, and they would go and they would go around in a circle around that barley for the purpose of loosening the wheat and the barley. And then once the th- and that was called where they went around in the circle, that was called the threshing floor. And that's what Naomi says that Boaz is doing tonight. So after they went around in this circle on this threshing floor, go ahead and bring up the next slide. What they would do then is that they would have this instrument called a winnowing fork. And it looked more like a, like a, a pitchfork than it did anything else that you would use hay for. And what they would do is that the mound that they made on the threshing floor, they would take this pitchfork and they would grab a bundle of it and they would throw it in the air and then the wind for the Mediterranean, the Mediterranean winds about this time, about barley season time, were fairly strong in the evening. And what would happen is when they threw the barley or the wheat in the air, the wind would blow the shaft away and then the wheat and the barley would fall, was heavier of course, than the shaft, and so the wheat and the barley would fall down to the ground. And so after they went through the process of threshing and the process of winnowing, they knew that what they had laying before them was pure barley or pure wheat. It was also, the threshing sledge was also called a, a fan. Uh, it went by, went by different names like that. And so, like I said, the, the Mediterranean winds this time of the season, in the late afternoon, winds were very heavy. And so, sifting through this barley and this wheat was hard work, but the, but, the, but the winds made it a lot easier. The psalmist used the same language, didn't he? The psalmist used the same language in Psalm chapter 1, verse 4, when he said, But the ungodly are not sober like the shaft which the wind driveth away. It's the same language. You get to, it's the same imagery. It's the same idea. You throw the barley in the air, and the, and the wind blows a fake away. The wind blows the tares away, and then the good stuff just falls. And if you could, and if you want, and if you if you allow me to make this application, when whenever judgment comes, the wind of judgment blows away the false, and then the true disciples of Christ stay firm, stay planted, stay put where God has them. Okay, and it's the same imagery. John the Baptist, for example, used the same imagery in Matthew chapter three and verse 12 where he said, whose fan in his hand, and that fan is the threshing sledge or the threshing fork, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. And so the whole plan of Naomi, the whole plan of Naomi is to take Ruth, is to get Ruth near the threshing floor. And so Naomi gives Ruth some instructions. Now, we don't know what is going on here other than what the Word of God tells us, but Ruth has spent the vast majority of her time in Bethlehem, at least, the, at least for the last, uh, last several weeks, months during barley season, she has spent her time out in the field. Now, let me ask you ladies a question. How many of you ladies uh, have gardens? Mrs. Glass is the only one that has a garden. All right, let me ask you this question. How many of you ladies have ever had a garden? Is that better? Okay. Now, let me ask you ladies a question. And I don't mean any disrespect, okay, ladies? Brother Blue, you got my back on this, brother? (laughs) He said, I love you, Pastor, but I'm no fool either. Now, how many of you ladies, when you prepared yourself to go work out in the field, 
fixed up your hair, sprayed it down, put your face on, put your face on, put your makeup on, put your eyeshadow on, and you, then you went out into the 100-degree humidity of July in Virginia and worked and picked green beans. Y'all, or anything, tomatoes, squash, lettuce, whatever. I do too. All right, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. You may go out there and you, you may put, you may, as, as some women say, you may put your face on. But you go out there with your face on, with your mascara and your rouge and your foundation and all that other stuff. You going out there in that 100 degree heat in July in Virginia, you're going to look worse than if you just rolled out of bed. You're going to come inside and your husband is going to say, who are you and what did you do with my wife? No, you don't do that. You don't do that. And Ruth probably did not do that either. We have reason to believe that Ruth was probably an attractive woman, but Ruth for the last several months had learned how to work. Ruth was probably a stout woman because we're not going to get there tonight, but when she leaves Boaz, he gives her about 80 pounds of barley. And so this woman carries 80 pounds of barley all the way home on her back. This woman, she was solid. right let me tell you what no i don't know a man alive with any sense that would have messed with ruth okay she was a stout woman by this time she couldn't help it she had been working in the fields she boaz had been giving her all this barley extra barley to carry home to naomi and then i Maybe she went to the gym. I don't know. But by the time she meets Boaz on the threshing floor, that's a joke, Katie. By the time she meets Boaz on the threshing floor, she carries home what's believed to be about 75 to 80 pounds worth of barley. And let me tell you one thing right now. That is a lot for a woman to carry. That's a lot for me to carry. And she didn't live next door. She had to carry it a right good distance. So she was a, she was a stout woman. And so Naomi has to give her little instructions. Verse 3, what's the first word she says to her? Take a bath. Man, you stink. Make sure you, yeah, take a bath. Anoint yourself. Put on some better clothes. Ruth would have had what was probably known as celebratory, celebration clothes, a festive clothes. Whenever she would, they would have a festival there in Bethlehem, they had special clothing that they wore. So she probably, over this process of time, had obtained some celebration clothes. And that's probably what Naomi's requesting or, or saying that, recommending that she put on. She says, so wash yourself. Put on some perfume. Go, 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 I, go back to my room, Ruth. I've got some of that channel number five. Okay? I want you to put some of that channel number five on. And smell pretty when you go down there to see this fellow. Let me tell you, girls, if, you, if you're not married yet and you find yourself, you want to get yourself a little, little man, yeah, um, fix yourself up. And he says, and go down to the fl threshing floor. 
Make, but make not thyself known unto the man till he shall have done eating and drinking. A man's way to, a, the best way to a man's heart, this was even in the Bible, the way to a man's heart's through his stomach. Don't ask anything. How many of you ladies don't ask your husbands anything until after he's eaten? Don't ask anything until after he's done eating. That's a biblical principle all the way back in the book of Ruth. And it shall be, verse 4, when he lieth down, that he shall, he shall mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And, he, and she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Now, I did a lot, a lot, a lot of reading on this section of Scripture because there are some people out there that give Naomi a really, really hard time. Y'all think I gave Naomi a hard time in chapter 1. There are commentators out there that accuse Naomi of trying to get Boaz and Ruth into an illicit sexual relationship by telling her to go in unto him and uncover his feet. There are those commentators, they're conservative evangelical commentators that, will, that have said that what Naomi is trying to do is to get Ruth to seduce Boaz to cause impregnation so that he would have to marry her. Um, I, don't, I don't buy that at all. I don't see that as the character of Naomi, at least at this point at all. And I certainly don't see that as the character of Ruth. Ruth, up to this point, seems to be living in the fear of the God of Israel. Uh, she seems to have accepted and, and, and has, has become a child of the covenant by faith. And so I don't see that whatsoever. So, so what Naomi basically tells Ruth, Ruth, get yourself together. Get yourself together. Now, notice what she says in verse 5. I was talking to, this, was to some of the uh, girls in the academy this, this past week, and notice what it says. It says Ruth, Naomi says, Ruth, when you go into him, go back, back that slide up there, Wichita. When you go into him, what does she say do? Uncover his feet. No one in the world is that all about. Uncover his feet. That's interesting. I mean, there's some feet that don't want to be uncovered. I mean, keep those things covered up. So when Naomi tells Ruth to go in unto Boaz, uncover his feet. And this is basically what this is in a nutshell. This was the way women proposed to men. Okay? They would go into the man. Yeah, and you, and you guys thought getting down on one knee was a way to do it. Y'all just missed the boat on that. You go into him while he's asleep. You uncover his feet, and then you lay down. You lay down at his feet. Okay? When he wakes up, you ask him, to cover him, to cover you with his garment. By you uncovering his feet, that is your proposal to marriage. By him covering you with his garment, that's his acceptance. That's how they proposed during the biblical times. At least one way they proposed. So wash yourself now, Ruth. Put on some nice perfume. Put on your best clothes. Look like a bride that's preparing herself for a wedding. You know, I kind of read that, and it kind of, it wasn't, I'm reminded of our walk with the Lord. 
and the and the instructions they own, that Naomi gave Ruth are not not dissimilar to our what should be our walk with the Lord. We are instructed in the Scriptures in order for us to have a deep walk with the Lord. It says in Second Corinthians chapter seven and verse one, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us what cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And just as Naomi told Ruth to wash yourself, it reminds me, and I've read after many, many men that agree with me, MacArthur, uh, Sproul, many men that, that agree with me on this, that this is not dissimilar or very similar to the fact of that as believers, we need to constantly be washing ourselves. As we sin, we need to be constantly asking the Lord to wash us. In Psalm chapter 51 and verse 2, for example, the psalmist said, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You know, there's an unbiblical notion going around these days uh, among evangelical, quote-unquote, evangelical circles that basically teaches that once you are saved... All of your sins are under the blood of Christ, and there's no need for continued confession of sins. So we can live in sin and not confess them because we're saved, and all of our sins are under the blood. And while for some that sounds good, and that is partially correct, all of our sins are under the blood of Christ, but the fact is that's not completely scriptural. That's not completely scriptural. You'll find this with teaching from like men like Andrew Farley, from a pastor of the, the church of, uh, I can't remember the name of the church. Help me out, Bonnie, do you remember? The Church of No Boundaries in Lubbock, Texas, I think is what it's called. Folks, let me tell you something. The continual confession of sin is a mark of a genuine believer. Mar- uh, continual confession of sin is a mark of a genuine believer. John says, for example, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, confessing our sins does not somehow reactivate the sacrifice of Christ to where, where when we sin, we fall from grace, we confess, it reactivates the grace and we become saved again. That's, that's, not, what is, that's not what's in view there. Confession is not an eternal thing. Other than the fact that when someone refuses to confess their sins, it's a good chance that they refuse to confess their sins because they're maybe not, be, they're maybe not truly born again. But for the believer, confession is not an eternal thing. Confession is an area of fellowship, isn't it? Keeping our hearts right with God where sin hinders our fellowship. Confession restores fellowship. Confession restores the union. Not as father and son, because that's an eternal state. But it causes the relationship to move and work freely again to where now the Holy Spirit has freedom to work in my life because now there's nothing hindering me in my life as far as sin is concerned. You know, being overwhelmed by the reality of sin is one of the first things that happened to Isaiah, isn't it? You know, you, you hear people all the time, I used to, I've told you this story before, I used to, used to be a pastor here in the, the area, and 
after church on Sunday mornings, we would go out to lunch and we would see him and, and we, uh, we would ask him, we would say, how was services this morning? And he would say, oh, brother, heaven came down, heaven came down. I never really understood what he meant by that. Heaven came down and he never explained himself. But what happens when heaven comes down? <laughs> wow. I'm like, get her out of here. Let me tell you what happens when heaven comes down. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What happens when heaven comes down? Confession of sin. Confession of sin. When someone really comes face to face with God, there's an instant realization of how very wicked and how very sinful I am and a realization of how very holy He is and that I need to confess. Heaven coming down is not speaking in an unknown tongue. Heaven coming down is not, is not getting all emotionally stirred up. Heaven coming down is coming and confessing your sins before a holy God and leaving different than you came. That's heaven coming down. And so unless you have gotten right with God, then we can't really say that we've met with God until we confess our sins and get right with Him. And I want you to realize this too. The very fact that Jesus Christ added into the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12 and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's indication for us that we are to confess our sins before God. Because that is the act of a true believer. I had someone come up to me some time ago in, in, in just, just beside themselves, in tears, just beside themselves. And they said, Pastor, they said, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I'm one of the elect? How do I know that I'm truly going to heaven? And I, could, and, I could, and I could see their heart on their face. And my first words to them were this, and maybe this will help you, but my first words to them were this. The very fact that you're asking that question, the way that you're asking it, shows that the Holy Spirit of God is at work in your heart right now. Because, folks, I don't care how religious a person may be, if they're not truly born again, they're not going to be concerned about their relationship with the Father. It's of no concern to them. They think that their religion, they're like the Pharisees, they believe that their religion is all that they need. And so they don't need anything else. And I took this person through a grocery list of things. Do you desire to know God? Do you desire that God know you? Do you desire to hear the Word of God preached? Do you desire to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you desire to be with God's people? Do you desire to know the Word? Do you desire for the Word to speak to your heart? 
Do you desire to be right with God? Do you desire to serve Him? Do you desire to be holy? Do you desire to be chastened when you sin? As I went down that list, that person, she answered, yes, 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 yes. And I said, the Spirit of God has done a work in your heart. Now, obviously, I can't peer through the, I can't peer through the flesh and, and see the heart. And I can't tell for sure whether she was just giving me the answers that she knew were the right answers. But aren't those the right answers? Because, folks, listen, being a true believer compels you to confess. You don't have to sit here. You don't have to sit back and argue. Well, I don't have to confess my sins because it's under the blood of Jesus. Being a true believer compels you to confess and get that thing right before the Lord. The compulsion of the Spirit in confession will be what will cause the believer to pray as the model prayer is, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. It's like, it's like as air pressure causes you to breathe, the Spirit of God forces you to confess. And so in a very similar way, as Naomi told Ruth, clean yourself up, we need to make sure that we clean ourselves up, folks. Well, disobedience is never an option in the life of a child of God. You, me, anybody. Disobedience is never, ever an option. We need to be striving by the help of the grace of God every moment of our lives to live holy before the Lord. And it's not easy in this world. I received news this past week that in Canada... Um, well, you all, I know there was a graduate from the Master's Seminary. He was a pastor in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Uh, and during the COVID, the, well, we're still in it, I suppose, unfortunately, but during the, the middle way of it or something like that, the Canadian Parliament decided that no churches can meet. Well, having gone to the Master's Seminary, I was very, I was intrigued by this guy because he went to the master's seminary and he went to church their congregation went to church he was thrown in prison for six weeks he was finally released from prison i think on a thursday sunday morning they were in church Similar to the Apostle Paul, you know, we're going to let you go, we're going to beat you, and we'll let you go, but you don't speak anymore in the name of this Christ. So they beat him, let it go, where did he go? He went right to the synagogue and started preaching Jesus again, hardhead. The next Sunday they got there, the government had come in there, they had built steel cages around the church with a padlock. The church members cut the padlock, and went in and went to church. The next Sunday they got there, not only had the padlock been replaced, but the government had posted guards outside of the, the gate so that they could not go back in. Yeah. It has nothing to do with COVID. It has to do with control. They had church outside. They had church outside. 
This week, I don't know when the bill passed, but Monday of this week, the bill became law. It became in full effect. The Parliament of Canada, by 100% vote, approved a bill called C-4. Now, it's probably a very explosive bill, and maybe that's why they called it that, but it's called C-4. And then that Bill C-4 that became law Monday of this week in Canada, it is illegal, punishable by up to five years in prison if you are caught trying to convert someone from homosexuality or LGBTQ+. It's five years in prison. Passed by 100% of Parliament. Now, I read that. I read that. And I can't help, folks, but to ask myself this question. What would I do? What would I do? I know what I'd hope I'd do. But I ask the Spirit of God to search my heart. What would I do? Because we're not far off. Canada is our neighbor. And we're not far off. And so just like Naomi told Ruth, Ruth, clean yourself up. Clean yourself up. Christian, Keep you, clean yourself up. And if you are clean, keep yourself clean. Don't dabble. Don't walk the line of the things of the world that you know are wrong. Get as far away from that line as possible. Because as Christians, we need to be more concerned. The number one concern of our hearts need to be honoring and glorifying God. The purpose of every believer in this auditorium tonight, your purpose for existence, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's your purpose. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Father, we thank You, Lord, for this example that You give us in Scripture. Father, I pray, Lord God, that You would be pleased to use Your Word to speak to hearts, change lives, by the preaching and teaching of your truth. We praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the exposition of the Word of God was a spiritual blessing to you. Again, for more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on Facebook at EBC Mineral. Our Lord's Day services are 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. Sunday morning and 6.30 Sunday evening. We also have a Wednesday evening service at 6.30. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that God's divine truth would be proclaimed always from the cross, through the church, and to the world until Christ come. And now from all of us here at Emmanuel Baptist Church and Divine Truth, thank you so much for listening and please stay tuned for further episodes. God bless you.